Growing a business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. Okay, welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, and this week we are going into the disappearance of Diane Augett, who disappeared on April 10th, 1998, from Hudson, Florida. If you don't already, follow me on Twitter at Great Unsolved, on Instagram at Great Unsolved Pod, on YouTube at Alexis Ruberg, where I am starting to do actual true crime videos of talking to the camera. So they are going to be different than the episode I release each week, generally, but I am kind of going back in the other cases I've done in order to get some of those videos out. The first one should be out, and it is on the case of JonBenet Ramsey. The Patreon is in the show notes, as is the rest of the socials. So let's just get into the case of Diane Augett. We are looking at the case of Diane Augett. She disappeared on April 10th of 1998 from Hudson, Florida. Not long after she disappeared, her severed finger was found along with quite a few of her belongings at some odd places. Diane was born in New York but raised in Florida because her family moved there when she was young. In late 1970s, Diane got married to Frederick Augett and eventually had two daughters and one son that it said she loved very much. As a stay-at-home mom, she was somebody who always kept her home clean, her children clean, everything organized, and took a lot of pride in her appearance. In the late 1980s, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, which at the time was known as manic depression. For this, she got medication, but she did not regularly take her medication. She took it quite sporadically, which for most mental health medications isn't a great plan because a lot of them take kind of upkeep or take a little bit to work. Generally, you have to take them for a while. I was on Cymbalta for four or five years, and that is one that had to be taken for about two weeks for it to start working. And I think a lot of mental health medications are like this because we see a lot of cases where people take their medications sporadically and then they still have the issues that or the symptoms that come along with their mental health issue 
whatever you want to call it. So that's probably not the right word, but I cannot think of the right word right now. So sporadically taking her medication for her bipolar disorder caused her to be put in mental health hospitals over 32 times. And I looked to a lot of different places for this because I thought I read it wrong. 32 times is a lot. And it wasn't over her entire life either. It was for less than 20 years because she was diagnosed in the late 1980s. So even if we're giving that a little extra time, let's say 1985, and she disappeared in 1998, that's only 13 years. And she was hospitalized over 32 times. In Florida, she could be hospitalized due to the Baker Act, which is an involuntary commitment law where someone in a position of authority such as a doctor, therapist, psychiatrist, judge, or law enforcement official could put somebody involuntarily in a mental health hospital, dependent on if they feel like they're a danger to themselves or others, or just not capable of living on their own at that point. In 1988, 10 years before she disappeared, Diane's three children, who like I said, it is said she loved very deeply and took care of, were actually removed from her custody. This is said to be due to alleged abuse, but there's no public record or public reports of what this abuse might have been. It's just stated alleged abuse, but there's we don't really know what it is. I'm sure there's records that are not public, but I really cannot elaborate on that as much as I would like to. In 1991, Diane and her husband went through a divorce. Frederick ended up getting the three children back. So this alleged abuse obviously did not have to do with him. It just had to do with Diane because once they divorced, he was able to get the children back in his custody. After this, Diane started heavily drinking and possibly doing illegal drugs. We're not 100% sure if she did, but there are some reports out there that say she may have. Diane was seemingly going downhill and pretty fast at this point. Around the same time, she was arrested multiple times for petty crimes, such as shoplifting and things of that nature, but nothing really serious and nothing that amounted to a large amount of money. Her family realized at this time that she could no longer live alone, and it said I believe it's at this time, that she often had teens, or it said juveniles, which to me means teens, but I guess it could mean a little bit older, hang out at her home. And the police department would later say that they think these teens were stealing from her home after she disappeared. But when we get into what was found after she disappeared, we'll look at that a little bit more. Although she went to mental health facilities over 32 times, she was always openly released after just a few days to a few weeks of treatment. And for a lot of people, that's something that works. If you are involuntarily committed or voluntarily committed, they generally don't keep you that long unless you have something very detrimental going on. But the fact that she had been there over 32 times kind of tells you that she should have been kept longer because it obviously was not working. 
And her family agreed with this. Her family believed that she needed longer-term stays in these facilities. Shortly before her disappearance, she was at an inpatient facility for one of these stays, and her family firmly believes that if she had not been let out, she may not have disappeared, which makes sense if she was still in the facility on April 10th of 1998. Whatever happened wouldn't have happened at that time. So she still could have disappeared later, but she might not have because the time period where whatever happened happened would have been passed or could have been passed at that point. Diane's mother believes that her daughter's fragile mental health, which is how her mother worded it. I didn't know Diane, so I'm not going to comment on how fragile her mental health was, but her mother believes that her daughter's fragile mental health made it so that Diane could not judge people's character, which ended up putting her in bad situations around bad people, and it overall endangered her. Which, once again, does make sense, because if you kind of aren't as tied to reality as someone who may be clear of all mental health conditions, then you're not going to be able to notice subtleties in people sometimes. It's not, I'm not exactly sure how to word this because that's not like a uniform thing. It could just be with certain conditions or it could be with certain people. It just, it made sense to me when she said she believes this was putting her daughter in dangerous situations with dangerous people and her daughter just couldn't figure that out at that point in her life. Diane moved in with her sister after getting out of this last facility so that she had help and she could take her time getting her stuff together. I'm not sure if she lived with her sister before this facility stay, but she obviously did after, and maybe this was due to the family believing that the facilities kept letting her out of there too quickly, and they kept seeing her just go back to what was wrong in the first place. So this kind of makes sense go to her sister's house, kind of get things together, not have to worry about taking care of her own home and herself all the time. It gave her more time to recover. So the day of her disappearance, Friday, April 10th, 1998. I'm going to go over kind of her description and what she was wearing that day, and then we'll get into the day's events. So Diane had blue eyes and dark blonde hair. She was around five foot, four inches tall, and 130 pounds. The last outfit she was seen in was blue shorts, a white tank top, and white sneakers. Now, no one was around when she left her sister's home, which was the last place someone conclusively saw her. So she could have changed, but this was the report that went out. So Diane's sister left her home where Diane was. When her sister returned home a few hours later, after going to, I believe, a doctor's appointment, Diane was gone. Diane did not return to the home at all that night, and her family began to worry. Now, Diane had disappeared in the past for a little while, but it was never more than one to two days. And this is another thing we see a lot with people in these true crime cases that I go over that sporadically take their medication. Sometimes they have a history of disappearing for a few days at a time, so when it happens in their case, their family doesn't worry as much as maybe somebody who 
has never left and been gone for a few days without letting somebody know. By Saturday morning, Diane's mother reported her missing. It was found that Diane had left her sister's home around 11 a.m. on that Friday. We know she went to Hayloft Tavern because a bartender remembered cutting her off there. I guess she had been drinking a little, but he cut her off because she was walking in circles, which I believe he just attributed to her having too much to drink. Maybe he thought she went to a bar before or something like that, and she was having a little bit too much, so she was walking in circles, and he cut her off. He says that Diane left, and it was unknown where she went after this. By that Wednesday, so four and a half, five days after she went missing, her family knew something was wrong. Because like I said, when she had left in the past, she was never gone for more than one to two days at a time. So this was very out of the norm for her. They called hospitals, jails, but nowhere had her or had any record of her coming in. So at this point, there's no traces of her after the Friday she disappeared. Diane's mom went out for some things on this same Wednesday. And while she was gone, Diane called, or who we think was Diane called. But this call was sent to voicemail. The caller ID said Starlight, and it said that there was a gentleman's club or something like that called the Starlight Lounge in Hudson, but Diane had no connections to there, so they didn't think it was a connection, and I'm sure police checked it out, but I don't think it added up to anything. On the voicemail, Diane said, quote, help let me out in a loud voice. And then there's kind of like a little altercation that can be heard. And then Diane says, give me that. And the call cuts off. So her mother obviously tried to call the number back right when she got home and heard this voicemail, but it never went to voicemail and nobody ever picked up. It just rang. And unfortunately, the police department could not trace this call back. The same day, so this Wednesday, a waitress said that Diane was eating lunch at Inn on the Gulf in Hudson, Florida. So this is four, four and a half, five days after Diane was last seen by her family. And somebody says they see her eating lunch at a restaurant, which overall is good. But the phone call kind of makes it sound like she wasn't alone or she was being hurt or something like that. The same Wednesday, a lot happened on this Wednesday, but the same Wednesday, a woman walking on US 19 saw what she thought was a fake human finger. She supposedly went home, told her boyfriend about it, and they ended up going back the next day. He immediately realized this was not a fake finger. It was a real finger, and he called 911. Police found the top third of a female finger. It was cut like right below the knuckle or right above the knuckle, I believe. I believe it was below though. And it had a reddish coral nail polish on the nail, which Diane was known to have been wearing or known to have had on her fingernails before she disappeared. And her fingerprint matched. Diane's fingerprint was the one on the finger, so it was obviously Diane's finger. Nothing else was found in the area despite police searching. The police department originally said that this finger could have come off in an accident, and 
The one that they kind of went over was closing it in a car door, which kind of seems odd to me. She's been missing. There's this weird voicemail. Now you found a finger. But police said it could it could have easily come off when she slammed it in a car door. And I just don't agree with that. The police department did reach out to the public for tips and got many sightings of Diane walking on US-19 and possibly getting into a car on US-19. On Saturday, April 18th of 1998, about a week after her disappearance, in an outside freezer at an Odessa, Florida convenience store, a bag of clothing belonging to Diane was found. The worker who found this had actually known Diane because Diane was a frequent customer at this convenience store. And Diane's sister did come and identify the clothing as Diane's and called the police. So I guess, I guess this worker called Diane's sister, not the police, and she identified it and then they called the police. The worker was unable to say how long the clothes had been in that bag in that freezer because she said she hadn't looked in that freezer for three weeks. Little odd, but whatever. She hadn't looked in it for three weeks. This is where the police department said they thought that the teens, who they believed were stealing from Diane after she disappeared because they had previously had access to her house, put them there. So police were like, oh no, it's probably unrelated. They probably stole these clothes found out she was missing, and then put them here to not be linked to it. The investigation then went stagnant, except for a few unconfirmed tips. That really led nowhere because they were unconfirmed. In November of 2000, the police department had interviewed over 100 people in Diane's case with unfortunately no leads. A woman, some sources say it was Diane's brother's girlfriend, I believe it was the brother's girlfriend, ended up finding another bag of Diane's belongings at a Circle K gas station in November 2000. This is a little over two years after Diane disappeared. So it's kind of weird that this is just found, and it's even weirder that it was somebody so close to the family of the woman who disappeared. The side of this bag that held Diane's stuff had Diane written in black marker, another odd piece. This bag contained makeup and perfume that Diane was known to have and use, and toothpaste that was handed out at the last mental health facility that Diane stayed at. It was said to be a generic brand of toothpaste, so I'm not sure if it was one you could buy in store, or if it was one that was only handed out at these maybe state-run facilities or something like that, because I feel like that would lend it a lot more to actually being Diane's and not a hoax or not somebody else's, something like that. Unfortunately, CCTV footage had already been recorded over here, so there was no footage to find who brought this stuff here, if Diane had been there, when it got there, none of that. Diane is still listed as missing, and nothing else has ever been found or confirmed in her case, which is very unfortunate for the family, obviously. So let's look at theories. I have four theories, but really only one that I really agree with. 
So the first theory that we have to go over, because I mentioned her mental health issues, is a mental break. With a history of mental illness, odd behaviors like walking in circles, sporadic medication taking, talking to herself, and disappearing for one or two days at a time, we kind of have to wonder if her mental health went even more downhill and she ended up leaving her life. Drinking, especially if she took her meds that day, could have caused her to forget things or want to leave her life. But on the other end, not taking her meds consistently could have caused her symptoms to kind of take over her mind, her life overall. I know I'm going to go back to the Cymbalta thing. When I had to take that, you were not supposed to drink on it because the side effects of it were bad. It, the drinking would kind of negate the good effects that the medication had on your mental state. And I don't know what kind of medication she was on, but generally you're not supposed to drink on medication. And that's going for most medications because they don't have enough information about how it interacts with alcohol to give you an estimate of how much you can safely drink on these medications. So drinking, if she took her medication, could have caused something worse or her just not taking her medication could have caused this as well. She could have gotten lost in the wilderness, succumbed to the elements, hurt by an animal. She's in Florida. Uh, My husband's parents live in Florida and literally will walk around their neighborhood and there'll be an alligator sitting there. And they have one that swims up and sits in their backyard all the time. So it's a little more likely Like, you could get badly hurt by wildlife there, I believe. I live in Tennessee, and we see deer, we see other animals, but they're not coming into our yard and just kind of chilling there or chilling on the road. I don't know. I feel like that could be a good theory if we didn't have other evidence in this case. She, like I said, this could have caused amnesia. Um, The medication, not taking the medication, drinking with the medication, accident. There's many different ways it could have caused amnesia, and she could be somewhere else living on her own, not knowing who she is, or she could be in a hospital that wasn't in the immediate area, so they didn't get called by the family. Now, the main theory is murder, because with the mental break theory, it doesn't really explain the finger or the clothing, especially the clothing being found over two years later but murder could. So this is the main theory, the one that I believe is most likely, unfortunately. Torture could explain the dismembered finger, or like I said, it's possible that she was involved in illegal drugs or at least took illegal drugs. It's not 100% like known, but it's always possible. So if she owed somebody money, they could have been threatening her, took her finger off, you know, something like that, that could explain why the finger was found. Could also explain the disposal of any belongings that she had on her. Maybe for some reason she left with a bag of her stuff, or in this case, two bags of her stuff. And whoever kidnapped her, killed her, whatever happened, they saw that the police were looking at this and they knew they had to get rid of this clothing. This could definitely explain the first one because it was found... Not long after she disappeared, about a week after she disappeared. So that would make sense. But 
once again, finding the bag of clothes two years later just doesn't make that much sense. Especially, it's so suspicious that it was somebody so close to the family that found these belongings. The teens who she had let in her home, let hang out there, may have wanted more from her. Maybe they wanted her to give up some of her belongings, give up some money, something, and she wouldn't do it. So they ended up getting rid of her, whether it was an accident that went too far or something that went too far, or it was on purpose. It's a possibility. We don't know much about the juveniles who police said were hanging out at her home and they believed were stealing from her home after she disappeared, but it's something worth mentioning. Gary Evans was the manager of the Coral Sands Motel, where one witness in the case stated they saw Diane. He was charged and convicted of murdering a man in 2001. So he's never conclusively tied to the case of Diane, and it's said he murdered this man after an argument, so it was more likely second-degree murder, not like a planned one. She was cited there by somebody, so, I mean, it's possible. He obviously could kill. He was able to kill someone. So theorizing that he killed somebody before this man in 2001 isn't that crazy. Another one I added in here, I didn't find it anywhere, but I was thinking about the case and I was like, we'll throw it in there because it's a possibility, is human trafficking. Traffickers notably prey on people who they view as more unstable. And if you have mental health problems, if you are on drugs, if you drink, all these things cause you cause you to be a little more unstable and you are generally seen as easier to convince and take, basically. Often, traffickers can use illegal drugs to entice people to go with them. And like I said, it's alleged that Diane did illegal drugs. If she was looking for these drugs, maybe they said, oh, we have some, just come with us over here. And she did, and that's how this happened. This could explain the untraceable phone call and absolutely no answer when calling back. Could have been a payphone, could have been like a burner phone, if they had those in 2000. I have no idea. I was a year old. It could have been something like that where if you call back, somebody might not answer and it's really not traceable. I believe you can trace a payphone a little easier though, so I, I'm not sure. This theory does mean that Diane could still be alive like the family hopes. It's been over almost 25 years since she disappeared because she disappeared 1998 in April. So yeah, almost 25 years since she disappeared. So it's unlikely she is still alive, but there's no evidence she is deceased, so the family can hope. Last one I have just one sentence on, and this is accident. She was seen walking on US-19 and could have been accidentally hit by a car and somebody could have covered it up. We see this a few times in other cases, and but we also see it as an excuse in other cases. People who do kill other people sometimes are like, oh, it was an accident and I didn't want to get convicted for it, so I covered it up, which is kind of a dumb excuse. I don't think it's a good excuse. But if they accidentally hit her with their car and covered it up, it's a possibility. This could explain the finger, kind of. 
I don't know how you would just get a finger and no other blood or anything else if she was hit by a car, but it could explain it. It just wouldn't really explain the the bags of clothes that were found. So that's all I have for the case of Diane Augett. And like I said, murder is the main theory, and I believe it's the most plausible theory. But the family still hopes she is alive, and there is no concrete evidence to say she is not alive. So the family may be right. So if you don't already, follow me at Great Unsolved on Twitter, at Great Unsolved Pod on Instagram. You can search Great Unsolved on Facebook, join the Facebook group, and like the Facebook page. I also have a Patreon. All of these will be linked down below. I am also starting to do videos where I talk to the camera about true crime cases on YouTube. The first one should be out by now. It is on the case of Jamine Ramsey, so go check that out. Thank you for going over the case of Diane Watson, or sorry, Diane Augett with me. And next week, we are going to be going over the case of Marie Ann Watson. business brings pressure. It's not easy to maintain momentum and still keep employees engaged. Fortunately, there's Insperity. Their scalable HR solutions help me with hiring, training, HR administration, and compliance while giving my employees competitive benefit options. When my people are able to thrive, my business can adapt and prosper. With Insperity, nothing seems impossible. Insperity, HR that makes a difference. So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando Resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited.